news. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This is why, folks, all forms of murder are absolutely wicked. That includes abortion. That includes suicide. That includes euthanasia. All of these killings are based on the belief that we have a right to take a life whenever we deem it necessary. When the truth is that only God has this right. The human race was not in existence for very long before the first murder occurred. Murder is wrong in virtually every society. So it's no surprise that we find it among the Ten Commandments. This commandment has been used to condemn the killing of animals as well as the use of capital punishment. On the other hand, we often use the Sixth Commandment to justify ourselves, saying things like, well, at least I've never murdered anyone. But can we justify ourselves this way? Or are we perhaps guilty in ways we've never considered? What precisely is murder? We will consider that and other questions today on Verse by Verse. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is guiding us through the Ten Commandments and today brings us to the sixth one, Do Not Murder. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving there since 1981. A question that I've heard all too often in Bible studies is, what does this verse mean to you? Well, that mindset when studying God's message to the human race has led to tremendous misunderstandings about his expectations. The question we need to ask ourselves instead is, what does this verse mean to God? Let's take that mindset today as we consider one of the most misunderstood of the commandments. We will find it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. Now, here is our teacher, Steve Kreloff. Let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We continue our study with the sixth of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. That's what it says. People, when they study this or look at this, tend to feel comfortable with it. And the reason they feel so comfortable with this commandment is because they think they've never violated it. This is one where we can breathe, one where we can relax. Finally, I've met a commandment of the 10 that I have obeyed and will continue to obey. Because after all, what honest person in this room can say that they haven't broken the first of the five commandments? We would all readily admit that we've done this, that we've held idols in our lives, that we have referred at times to God's name and to his attributes in a rather loose and trivial manner, that we have failed to obey the principle of the Sabbath, We have dishonored our parents at times, and so it's very likely that uh, you look at this and say, I can feel comfortable with the sixth commandment because I have not deliberately, nor have I in any other way, done an act of cold-blooded murder. So after being condemned and under conviction by the first of these five commandments, we tend to feel, as I said, that we can just relax, sort of congratulate ourselves that we have arrived at a commandment that we obey. But you know what? That's not true. None of us can breathe easy with this. None of us can relax. None of us can feel comfortable with this commandment as if this commandment wasn't pertinent to us because we've never killed anybody. See, the sixth commandment, Thou shalt not murder. Not only addresses the action of murder, the act of murder, but it also includes the attitude that leads to the action 
of murder. And because this is the broad moral spirit and intent of the sixth commandment, none of us can relax because you know what? We have all violated this commandment. We have all broken this commandment. We are just as guilty in our hearts before God as any cold-blooded murderer. This is a very convicting, convicting study. Statistics tend to indicate that most people don't know what the Ten Commandments are. They may tell you that they're trying to keep the Ten Commandments to get to heaven, but if you ask them to name them, uh, they really don't know what they are. Most people, in fact, in the United States, if they do know any of the commandments, they could name maybe three or four, but beyond that, they really don't know it. But perhaps the best known of all the Ten Commandments is this commandment here, thou shalt not murder. But interestingly enough, it is really the least comprehended and the most misunderstood of all of the commandments. Why? Because people tend to just take a cursory look, a very superficial glance at this commandment, and they fail to dig into the Bible to see what is the true meaning and intent of thou shalt not murder. So let's begin our study of the sixth commandment and discover what God really means by you shall not murder. And I think a good way to do this is by asking certain pertinent questions, and the answers will lead us to the biblical conclusion and meaning of the text. We're going to ask three questions this morning. Number one, we're going to ask, what actions does this commandment forbid? What is the act itself that this commandment forbids? Secondly, we're going to go beneath the surface and and ask this question, what attitude does this commandment condemn? What action, what attitude? And then finally, the third question is, what positive virtue does this commandment encourage? Because when you have a commandment in Scripture, especially the Ten Commandments, presented in a negative form of thou shalt not, the positive is always implied. If you have it presented in a positive format, the negative is implied as well. So we want to look at the positive virtue that is encouraged by this commandment. So let's begin, and let's look at the first question to ask in determining the meaning of the sixth commandment. It's this, what action, specific action, does this commandment forbid? Now, in most of our English Bibles, the sixth commandment is presented in four simple words. You shall not Murder. That's how most of the modern translations would translate, and I think accurately so. In Hebrew, though, it's even simpler. The original Hebrew consists of only two words, no murder. In fact, this is the shortest verse in the Bible. Now, I know that you were told Jesus wept is, but uh, that's not. This is. This has only six letters to this verse. So this is the shortest, briefest verse in the Bible. However, when the King James Version scholars came to this commandment, they translated it, thou shalt not kill. They didn't say thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, which tended to give the impression that God was prohibiting the taking of of all life in every context of life. And so, there are people today who based on this commandment and their interpretation of it would be opposed to capital punishment, the death penalty, or war. In addition, there are some people who would even argue against killing animals under any circumstances because of this sixth commandment. However, the precise Hebrew word that is used in the sixth commandment is almost always used of killing a personal enemy, and it is never, ever used to refer to killing an animal. It's used only 47 times in the Old Testament, and that's how it's used. It is, uh, it is never used 
to speak of killing that takes place in the context of war or capital punishment or even self-defense where someone has attacked you and in the process of defending yourself, their life is taken. So what this means is that this commandment does not apply to killing animals for food or clothing and this commandment does not prohibit taking human life under all circumstances such as, as we mentioned, war or capital punishment or when one is defending Himself. The Hebrew word and the intent of this commandment simply means that we are prohibited from taking another human being's life for unlawful purposes. Unlawful purposes. This word, this word would include premeditated murder as well as manslaughter as, as a result of rage. It's, it's all inclusive. Therefore, I think it is very accurate to translate this commandment, you shall not murder. That is the obvious intent of it. It is a prohibition against killing, the killing of any human being that violates justice. And that's why I say it's unlawful taking of life. Now, we want to think our way through this, and we want to, we want to put some thought into this and consider, why is it so wrong to murder someone? Why is it so wrong? And yet killing in the context of capital punishment or war is not wrong. Why? Well, the answer to that is found in Genesis chapter 9. So let's turn back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 9, to to understand why is it wrong to murder a fellow human being? And why is capital punishment approved of by God? Well, Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. This is right after the flood. And God is directing this to Noah and to mankind in general. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I I, uh, give all to you as I gave the green plants. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely I will require your life blood from every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. As I said, this was given right after the flood, and God changed some things. God established that from this point on, humans were allowed to kill and eat animals for food. Prior to that, everyone was a vegetarian. However, however, this passage says that animals were not allowed to kill humans. Humans could kill animals, but animals were not allowed to kill humans, nor was a human allowed to kill another human being. Why? Well, the answer is provided for us in verse 6, and it might surprise you. It might surprise you. Verse 6 says this, Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. That's the reason. God made man in his image and likeness. The reason murdering a man, and I'm using man in in the generic sense of mankind, is not permitted is because man was made in the image and likeness of God. In other words, man is God's highest creation and unique creation. He is the apex, the pinnacle of God's creation. Unlike animals, we were created to resemble God. They do not. We resemble God, not in a physical sense, but in a sense that like God, we can communicate, uh, we reason, we know right from wrong, we have moral sensibility, we have moral character qualities, and though when man fell, that image was tainted, it's still there. We're all, we've all been created in God's image. God made us like himself. Therefore, 
To murder a human being is not only a sin against that human being, it's a sin against God. It's a serious sin against God. It is in one sense removing a part of God's image from the earth. It's a serious thing to do. It's wrong, it's wicked to destroy something that God has made to be like himself. We're not saying man is God, but he has been made in the image and likeness of God. In other words, what what scripture is teaching is there is a preciousness to life. There is a sanctity to life. It is sacred, it is special, and no one but God has the right to take another human life. God alone gives us life. God alone has that right to intervene in our life and to take it. We don't even have the right to take our own lives, which is why suicide is still murder. It is self-murder. And Dr. Kevorkian and others like him are guilty of murder. Anyone who violates God's right to take a life has really defied his authority. That's what it boils down to. This is why, folks, all forms of murder are absolutely wicked. That includes abortion. That includes suicide. That includes euthanasia. All of these killings are based on the belief that we have a right to take a life whenever we deem it necessary. When the truth is that only God has this right. Now, I understand there are some complicated issues in some of these situations, but God alone has the right to do this. Brian Edwards, an English pastor, writes this concerning the very issues of abortion, suicide, and euthanasia. He writes, contrary to contemporary thinking, our life is not our own. We hold it in trust from the Creator who gave it, whether we acknowledge that or not. Just as it is a lie to suggest that a woman has sole right to determine whether her child in the womb should live or die, so it is a deceit of modern society to pretend that everyone has the right to choose the time of their death. That belongs to God and to Him alone. And he's absolutely right. That's what this is teaching. Now watch this. In in light of that, the question is this. Then why is capital punishment so different from unlawful murder? How can you say that it's wrong to murder, but it's all right? For the death penalty to be enacted. You see, and watch this. Follow the argument. In capital punishment, it is actually God who takes someone's life, not a violent individual. Let me me explain. Look back at Genesis chapter 9. And in verse 6, let's read that again. God says this. Whoever sheds man's blood, and notice this, by man his blood shall be Shed. It is by man his blood shall be shed. By man, though the text doesn't explicitly state it, by man, God means human government. Human government. That is precisely what he means. And how do I know that if the words government and human government are not here? Because the rest of the Bible supports this. It, it, it clarifies that this is what he means. For example, in the Old Testament, there was no vigilante crowd that could get together, no mob mentality that could take somebody's life. There were always Jewish judges who, uh, who acted as, as the government's authority to carry out capital punishment. People didn't decide this on their own. It wasn't left up to individual citizens to carry out some vigilante killing at their own discretion. For example, remember last week we looked at at Deuteronomy 22 about a rebellious child, what we would call a juvenile delinquent, who who was constantly disobedient to his parents and, and really uncontrollable. The scripture says that his parents were to grab hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city. And if they deemed that he was this rebellious, they were to stone him. 
They acted as the human government. God has ordained human government and he enacts the death penalty through them, not individuals seeking revenge. You see this even more clearly in the New Testament in Romans chapter 13. So let's look there. Because some might say, well, you know, uh, you bring in Jewish authorities. That's part of the civil laws that are, were over in Israel. How do we know that still today? Because Paul taught it in Romans 13. He spoke about governments. And let me read to you verses 1 through 4. This is about human governments, and it is about the death penalty. It's not only about that, but it incorporates that. Verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. So right here, Paul says that human government has been established by God. God works through human government. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authority meaning government authority, has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers, he's speaking about civil rulers, government leaders. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. He's just saying, obey the government so you don't have to fear them. Why? Verse 4. For it is a minister of God to you for good. For if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. What Paul is, is clearly teaching here is that God has established human government for the purpose of punishing evildoers. That's why Paul says, if you don't want to fear them, then just obey them. But if you don't obey them, then you're going to face the penalty. And sometimes the penalty is the death penalty. When Paul mentions the word sword, that is precisely what he is referring to. He's using it to speak of the government's power over life and death. They are acting in the place of God. They are not on their own. They are acting in the place of God. In other words, the sword is used as a symbol a symbol of the government's power to impose capital punishment. That's why we say individuals have not been given the right to take anyone's life. The government can do it because God has ordained the government to act in his place. That's how he carries out justice. And I realize that uh, there is no perfect government on earth. There's no perfectly just government, but that's why God has ordained the government nonetheless. And that is the divine intent. God has ordained the government to act in his place. And that's the very, by the way, it's the very context of Romans chapter 13 to say that individuals are not to kill anyone out of personal vengeance. If you look back at verse 19 of Romans 12, you'll see this is exactly what Paul is saying. Remember, in the original text, there, there are no divisions. There, there are no divisions. There are no chapter divisions. In Paul's thinking, he's just moving on to, to explain and clarify this. He says in verse 19, beloved, Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. That is, get out of the way. It's not given to you to do it. He says, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And in the context, what God is fully saying here is that most of the time he repays and acts out justice when the government punishes evildoers. And sometimes it's by the death penalty. Not always, but sometimes. So you want to keep in mind that the commandment not to murder is distinct from capital punishment. God has made it distinct. It is different. It is his method of carrying out justice as opposed to someone just out of violence and anger or revenge taking an individual's life. 
And by the way, the Old Testament had a number of crimes that were punishable by death. Premeditated murder, kidnapping, adultery, homosexuality, incest, bestiality, persistent disobedience to parents as well as authorities, striking or cursing one's parents, offering a human sacrifice, false prophecy. If someone said, I speak for the Lord, and they didn't, they were to be killed. Blasphemy, profaning the Sabbath, sacrificing to false gods, practicing magic and divination and sexual immorality. All of those were punishable offenses by by death. You could, by the way, give a ransom for all but one, and that one would be premeditated murder. So it's a very serious offense. So keep in mind the same God who forbid individuals from murder authorized human government to take the life of someone, especially if they take someone else's life. And let me just say this, the the reason being that God enacted capital punishment is not primarily because it's a deterrent to to keep others from taking someone's life. I suppose it, it acts like that to some degree, but the reason is because we've been made in God's image. That's why it's such a high and serious crime being made in God's image. God will not tolerate that. It's a serious, serious crime. Now, what about war? Is that the same thing as murder? Well, no, no. Killing that takes place in an act of war against an evil aggressor is not the same thing as murder. Now, I understand when we talk about a just war, it can be debated what exactly is a just war. How do you define that? And I'm not here to to define that except to say that When a war is for a just cause and um, with a just intention, then killing is presented in Scripture as an act of justice, not murder. If if a Christian said, I don't see it as a just war, then then let them uh, be a pacifist in this situation. Let them object to it. But, But the principle is when there is a just war... And your government goes, goes to war. Killing is not spoken of in the same way as murder. And the best illustration of that is found in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God told the children of Israel, you are to go into the land of Canaan and you are to wipe them all out. They are not to exist. They, they, they were a cancer on the earth. The Canaanites were wicked. What they did to people were wicked. I've read commentaries where the writers said, we we, we won't even go into the depth of what uh, archaeologists have found, what the Canaanite people did to little infants and others. Just uh, the most hideous things imaginable. God said, wipe them out. Chapter 7 of Deuteronomy says this, verse 1, When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites and the, the uh, Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Verse 16 goes on to say the same thing. Verse 23 goes on to say the same thing. Wipe them out. Show no mercy. So the point is this. God has certainly made a distinction between killing done in war and murder. You want to just keep that in mind. So in answer to the question, what does the sixth commandment forbid? The answer is that it forbids us from deliberately murdering anyone, a human. So far, it looks like this is not a difficult commandment to keep. But we will see in the next verse by verse that because we look on the outside, that is, we look at behavior and God looks right into our hearts, we may be more guilty than we think. But our time is nearly gone for today, so we will have to continue that thought when we meet again. 
You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages come to you through the team at Verse by Verse Ministries as well as the gifts of generous listeners. To find out how you can help us keep these classes on the air, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org, and click on the Support Us link. To order a CD or cassette with this entire three-part message, please call us at 727-239-0306. Pastor Steve told us at the beginning of our lesson that we would consider three questions. The first was the question of what behavior this commandment forbids, and I think we clearly answered that one. The second question is one that might be a little more convicting. What attitude does this commandment condemn? Let's consider that on the next Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse. If you're concerned about